In this episode, I speak with Hayden Russ, a Swiss army knife of the event industry. Originally from New Zealand, Hayden grew up with a love of musical theatre and from a young age worked behind the scenes on various productions. Hayden went on to spend time working in the UK before landing in the United Arab Emirates. He now co-owns a tech rental company, Show Calls, and covers technical production on events across the country. Despite a hectic schedule during the peak event season, Hayden retains an optimistic attitude and is always pitching in to help his colleagues deliver outstanding events with a high level of productivity. Welcome to the Rare Conversations podcast. I'm Leonie Milano, and I chat with creative entrepreneurs and business owners around the world about what it takes to start, sustain, scale, and sell a business. We talk about real-life scenarios to help you understand the path before you to inspire your journey. I transitioned from working in film, TV, and global events to working with creative entrepreneurs through mindset coaching and mentoring. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs embrace the journey, understand themselves better, accelerate their growth, and get the most out of life, making sure they have a hell of a lot of fun along the way. Hayden, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I always get this question, these two questions, and I thought I might pass them on to you. How long have you been here in the UAE and how did you end up here? I guess it's the uh, the question we all get from, from friends or people yeah. we meet out here, isn't it? So I've been here for um, coming up to 11 years. I originally came out here from the UK. I'd been living and working out there for about six, six and a half years. And I decided that that I was going to move back home and I was dead set on moving back home, back to New Zealand. Uh, mm-hmm. And I um, I had handed in my notice at the company I was working with, which is an events company in London. And then I got an email from uh, a company that were out here, a company that my brother was working at, um, asking if I'd be interested in a project management role at an AV company. Now, if I'm completely honest, I was I was not interested, but uh, I know my brother had put his neck on the line a little bit and he had <laughs> sort of put me forward for the role. So I entertained it and I said, yep, I'd totally be interested. I'm already coming through the UAE because I was coming through the UAE on my way back to, the, back to New Zealand just to, you know, hang out with my brother for a little while. And so I got here, I had, I wouldn't call it an interview. I went in and met with them and had a, a bit of a meet and greet. And uh, a couple of days later, they offered me a, a position. And when I when I saw the offer, I mean, it was it was a good offer and car allowance included and mobile allowance. And I just thought I'd be an absolute idiot if I didn't if I didn't give it a go at least. And so I decided I would give it six months and see how I found it. And then um, eleven years eleven later, years later. Uh, here I am. And, uh, <laughs> Still really enjoy working out here, really enjoy being out here. Uh, I think I've got uh, a bit of handle on the summer here now. So the, the blistering temperatures in the summer are, of course, still not the most pleasant thing to deal with, but I'm, I'm a bit better. Yeah, the, uh, the humidity definitely takes a lot of getting used to, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's it is pretty easy living here. For anyone who doesn't know what a show caller does, they work behind the scenes at events and call the elements of a show or production via comms, which is communication system where everyone's wearing headphones. So they operate a bit like a conductor and give out cues, say when someone has to play a video, performance need to come on stage. 
certain states of lighting, sound elements, music, to ensure that it all hopefully runs smoothly. So this particular person orchestrates all these movements behind the scenes. What was it that got you into events in the first place when you were in the UK? Well, I guess it goes back further than that. Actually, I started in uh, musicals in primary school. So when I was about nine or oh, 10 right. years old, I was working on The Wizard of Oz as a, as a backstage manager, bringing props on and off for The Wizard of Oz. And then um, in intermediates, so I was maybe 11 years old, we did uh, a show called The Jungle. It wasn't The Jungle Book. It was just called Right. Jungle. <laughs> I was going to ask that. Um, I had a, a, only a couple of cues and that was uh, playing uh, the little Spanish flea on a music cassette, um, which I'd rewind <laughs> with, a, with a pencil. That was for that. So I did a little bit of audio work on that particular event. And then um, in high school, from about 14 or 15, I did Annie. Uh, we did Oedipus Rex. We did The Twelfth Night. We did Jesus Christ Superstar, which I think is probably my favorite of all of them. Uh, and always I've worked on the technical side of it. So I've never been in front of the camera per se or never in front of an audience, but working either in lighting or in a stage management position. Uh, and then right. coming forward from that, I was sort of in my late teens and early 20s. I was a, a DJ for a few years. My brother and I, we owned a nightclub in Auckland. Uh, it was an all ages mm. nightclub for people were, which were below the drinking age, but wanted to sort of have a nightclub experience. And we had a small sound lighting hire company uh, in, in New Zealand. Uh, and then um, I went on my big OE from about 23 years old. I, I went Canada, Greece, landed in the UK, uh, and I was working in the UK uh, at a few different positions. Uh, and then uh, one of the companies went under and we got made redundant. Um, but that company set me up with a guy called Jonathan Price, who owned Absolute Events in London. And at the time, he needed some people and I was looking for a job. So I stepped back into the world of events and worked with him for a couple of years before the job opportunity came up out here. So you actually wear many hats in the industry. And I think it's really beneficial to know quite a few different roles within the events because a lot of the times you have to wear many hats doing one event you don't always yeah, get definitely. the luxury and depending on the um the size of the event i might ha i might go in as a show caller and be a technical director or be a show producer but then on a larger scale event there is a technical director there is a show producer and i'm coming in just to do the show call element so like you say at one particular time you might have to wear a number of different hats or you might also have to have an understanding of the different aspects to be able to tie all that in together yeah, absolutely. To know to know what all the different roles are, at least, I think is definitely beneficial. And show calling is extremely stressful at times. <laughs> we know that humans get addicted to adrenaline or stress. They definitely get addicted to stress. You mentioned that you like extreme sports and we'd spoken before and you'd mentioned that you are a snowboarder and it's probably a good reason why you feel suited to show calling because the adrenaline levels kick in although it does vary but it can get pretty crazy I think it has to have something to do with it I enjoyed working in events before I took up show calling as one of my major specialties it was once I started in show calling. Uh, that's when I really started to get a lot of excitement and a lot of passion for the job. And I put it down to the the adrenaline that I get from uh, an involved show call. 
it is stressful. It is, you know, you are working in often in uncomfortable positions and situations, but it's very similar with a with snowboarding or um, with that extreme sport. It, it is a adrenaline. You are, you know, we're in, going out in conditions that most people wouldn't, you know, leave their house for. But I'm, I feel quite natural in that environment. So to then be put into an uncomfortable position at, at a front of house um, to, to show call an event, I guess I don't really feel uncomfortable in that. Uh, and then being able to deal with the stress, being able to still think uh, while something quite stressful is happening, I think is quite key. Um, but for sure, I personally think it's the adrenaline that has kept me, that gets me addicted into that position so much. I think it's a good skill to have, though, being able to handle that because you do come across as someone who's very calm, being calm under the pressure, which is important. Yeah, You're especially all... for that particular position. Yes, because you've got everybody, you are instructing everyone else to do their job. Yeah, and I think if, if I am starting to sound stressed, then that is going to rub off on everyone else. And what I need is at that time is everybody else to be as unstressed as possible because you know when stress comes in you start making poor decisions you don't think things through properly and if everybody is stressed and you're not using your communication well and and the comms lines aren't clear and concise more poor decisions are going to be made continually through that i think it's very important to try and remain calm and try and make the best decision you can for that particular moment and then stick by that as well you know, you have to stick by that conviction. If, if that was your best decision and you have to later on go and justify that to a client why you went ahead with a certain decision that you did, you have to have your reasons that you did that. Even when you know that there's things going on that are outside your control, there's a problem outside, there's a problem with the, um, some of the technical equipment, you're, you're limping through a little bit, these things do happen. So it's very important to stay very, very calm and, and make sure when people are talking to you that they're getting a very clear and concise answer back not something that is not thought through or, you know, a stress or a bark back at someone. It's not productive in my view. It's instantly transferable, the energy for sure. Yeah. You're also the owner of a technical equipment hire company here that services events across the UAE. What kind of events do you work with? Yeah, so um, I am the uh, co-owner of a company called iHire. Yeah, so I hire we um, we work in a very similar space to what I do with my show calling and technical production. My business partner John, he also comes from an event background, so I guess that's the area that we've found the easiest target because they often need technical equipment, especially laptops and other technical items. Very much in the corporate event space, we don't really differentiate between one or the other. We don't say we only deal in corporate. Um, that tends to be the main, the main part of what we do, but it's anyone really. And then we do go across into other sectors as well. We do have training companies that come to us to, to rent computers and promotional companies to, to rent iPads um, and everything, iPads right? and other sorts of things. But it, it's mainly around that corporate event spaces, probably our, right. our, the majority of our work comes from. Just with all of the roles, you can't beat getting the experience on the job. You can't really read up on this and then just go into a job. There's so many things that happen. There's so many, yeah. Qualified by experience is is by far the best way for the event industry. It's what you learn from one job is often directly transferable onto the next. Some of the learnings that you have on certain events, some of the ways to do things. 
some of the technical questions that come up from one event will, you know, the, the amount of things that I would have learned two or three years ago, four or five years ago, you know, on an event, I use that experience into the next event. So there are certain bits of training that I think would be beneficial people that might be doing an um, event management course or might be doing, um, uh, you know, that, that they've gone into an academic route through it. Mm. But by far the best way is to try and get an internship and just try and get through things by learning by experience. And work your way I, up. Yeah, I'm, I'm often quite surprised that what I did when I was nine years old on The Wizard of Oz or on when I was 11 on, on the... A lot of these things, it's strange how it's done a, a complete circle and I'm back doing events and that something from so young has actually an impact on what I do now. Not that I could probably remember what props I brought on when I was that age but um, I do distinctly remember having to rewind a cassette on um, that's uh, just brilliant to play it on jungle and you know now I play multiple audio cues on different events so it's how's that for an evolution it's strange how I yeah something that I was involved in when I was 11 years old still has a has an effect of my life so it's that's interesting you're like you've just had a love for events your whole life so far I don't know if it was a love for an event my entire life. Like, I, I uh, don't get me wrong, I really, really enjoyed um, working in musical theatre and I think if I had my, had my choice, I would still work in theatre. But it's strange that something that has just kept finding me so easily is what I've pursued as now as a passion, for sure. But it, it's something that started, it was written on the wall when I was so young, but I didn't know it back then. I didn't know that I'd be working in events at this age. You know, some people at the age of... 12 or 13 or 14 years old they know that they're going to go and do this particular job role and that's what they go into I didn't know that at that age I remember when I left school I thought when I figure out what I want to do with my life I'll go to university and I never made so it so you, ne- you didn't have never a really right and you never had a career in mind like when I get older I want to be this no no I've never really I've never right. really had that I've never really thought I need to be this point by this age or I never I have to have this career or uh, I mean, I think I did when I was really young, you know, like everyone is told to when they're going to the guidance counsellor and they're telling you, oh, you've got to have a career path. You've got to be doing this. You've got to be doing well in your tests. So, you know, you've got to be doing well at school. You're already you doing props. You won't go to university. And if you don't go to university, you've got no future. Um, mm. I wish I could go back to all of those teachers and actually say to them, actually, if you had have been a bit more supportive, I wouldn't have left school thinking that I was a no-hoper and I was going to be you know, working in a factory my entire life. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I don't think that they were selling the the right picture. They were trying to sell a seat in a university. They weren't trying to do what was best for me. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I'd I'd like to go back to some of those teachers and and actually have a word with them and say, look, what were you you doing? Um, However, I'd also like to go back to one particular teacher who was Mr. Holloway. He was the drama teacher at Westlake Boys High School, uh, and I would very much like to thank that man because he believed in myself and my brother who also works in events and he was probably a big part of our success today and it was the, um, did the he just encourage he you to explore exactly yeah so he was he he was the teacher behind the the musicals that we did in high school and um he had a lot of belief in what we were doing and he would get us out of school for a, a couple of weeks because we needed to work on the production and you know when all of the other teachers didn't think that there was a future in that and you know, especially for my brother, who he had a real passion for lighting. Uh, and all the teachers said, you know, that'll never take you anywhere. You'll never go anywhere with that. But today he's a leading lighting designer out in the region. And is, isn't that crazy? Uh, could what go back to all of those say? teachers and say, look, actually, 
I should have been pursuing my passion back then. So, yeah. But yeah. Uh, if I could, Mr. Holloway would definitely be one I'd like to thank along the journey. I don't think teachers realise what an impact they have when they say negative things or you can do this, you can do that. It, yeah, it's a lot. And it's, yeah, it's interesting definitely. that we remember the ones that do actually help us along. Yeah. Later in yeah. life, well, have, I could probably you... remember the ones that didn't help me along the way as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember a few as well. Do you have any good role models for later in life or a mentor that you may have had in the industry in recent years? Um, I think the person in, in business that uh, I've probably had the closest connection to is a friend of mine called Adam Morris. He, he's quite a savvy business person himself and um, he helped me through a number of things that I was doing in a, a different part of my life. It was a sort of online business that he, him and I were involved with. And uh, yeah, so Adam helped me along along the way uh, back then. And I think that's put me in a very firm footing for now in, in what I'm doing in, in business. Not that I, it was ever a teaching. It was just him and I sort of discovering things together along the way. And mm. uh, yeah, just so having I, that I support Adam, there. Yeah, and someone to constantly talk to and ask questions, and uh, he was he was very very helpful when I was sort of trying to learn what he was doing. And uh, we don't keep in as good a contact as we probably should uh, or we used to, but uh, he's definitely a mentor that along the way has has helped me a lot. And nowadays, I don't think I have a mentor that I'm that I'm particularly following. It's my business partner and I, John, sort of figuring things out a little bit for ourselves and making a few mistakes along the way, but as well as trying things and, and also making a lot of good decisions along the way too. So yeah, I don't think I've got anyone that I'm particularly following or get a, a lot of mentoring from at the moment, but hopefully in the, in the future, I'll find someone that, that will be able to help me with that. And having a co-founder for a business, that can be really difficult and it can also be really rewarding, which it sounds like for you guys, it's been really rewarding. How did you go into that? How do you even know if someone, I think it's actually fun to work with other people and so long as you both don't have the same strengths that you have different elements how did you guys work it out i mean you've been together in the business now for a while right yeah so it it didn't quite start as a as a co-founder sort of situation um so originally the the business started um i was so the other part of what i do and the the bit that i was talking about with adam morris is uh some website design so when i first got to the uae I couldn't find anyone that had a decent looking website. So my idea had been to start a website design company. Uh, and when I first went freelance, I had about a month where I wasn't, I didn't have any events on. It was, you know, I'd been really busy for the first couple of months. And then, you know, I just had nothing for, for an entire month. And I thought at that time, well, maybe I should start something else. And uh, I was actually building a website to sell a website design company. It was a, it was a showreel piece that I was trying to create to show people what they could do with a website. You know, it doesn't have to be super flashy, but it could look nice. Not like it was built in the 1990s and hadn't been updated since. So I think there's still a lot of those. Yeah, it was building that and researching that that I realized that actually no one was doing the same business. And and so the company then I called uh, Mac Rentals. I hadn't really put any thought into a, into a name at all. And uh, so I put this website live and I remember thinking to myself, I might see what happens if I leave this website live, if I get any phone calls. And it was about three weeks later, four weeks later from it going live. And I had, hadn't really put any work into it since then. And um, I had set up a, a mobile phone 
uh, and I had that sort of on a shelf just above my desk. And I remember this phone ringing. And I just thought, who's left their phone here? That's not my phone. And I was like, oh, it's the, the company phone that I said. I was like, um, hello? Like, oh, yeah, is that uh, Mac Rentals? I was like, uh, yep, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's my oh, company. Oh, yeah, I need to hire a couple of MacBooks from you. I was like, yeah, we've, we've got MacBooks. How many do you need? We need two. Okay, yep. What's the price on those? Um, <laughs> 100 a day? Um, so, and that job was actually the first job that, that we ever got. That is so, funny. Uh, yeah, I had to, had to quickly run up to a company that I knew that had a couple of Macs, actually the company that I used to work for. I ran up, I called them, I said, have you got a couple of MacBooks available? Yeah, we've got a couple of Macs. Sweet. So I called them back. Yeah, we've got a couple available. So yeah, I delivered them uh, so a couple funny. of Macs and, and that was the first job that we ever had. And, um, it was from then that I thought, okay, this is there could be something in this. And at the same time, I'd been talking to um, John, my business partner, um, and uh, he he had shown a bit of interest in it. And he he had talked to me a little bit prior to that, sort of about setting up a company. And at the time, he was looking for some work and I was getting a bit busy with the rental side of the business. I couldn't do the freelance and the rentals. Like I was having to like, mm. you know, run at night to go and set, you know, collect some equipment and then get it ready. And then it was just getting too much. And um I had a conversation with John and we had decided that we would probably, you know, go into business together. And then he got a job offer from quite a large AV company out here uh, who wanted a sales director. And John called me and said, oh, look, I've had this job offer. And, you know, he'd been out of work for, for a little while, well, not, not a huge amount of time, but he'd been out of work for a couple of months and he was just a bit unsure of, you know, what he should be doing. And uh, I, I was certain he was he was going to take this job, and so we we talked through it a little bit, and he was like, you know, how would you picture that that the company would run? And so we had about a I don't know about a half hour long conversation, and then he um, he ended the call with, okay, I'm I'm going to call them back and tell them no, and I was, went, wow, um, <laughs> okay, uh, well, um, yeah, so stuff just uh, got real. Yeah, things got things have just got really real. Uh, I was like, oh, all of a sudden, I've got to actually make this work in business. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, since then, um, I think the the good thing is, like you say, John and I don't have the same skill set. We have some things that cross over with each other, mm. um, but we definitely don't have the, the exact same skill set and the same thing, which is good. We we're quite diverse over that. We have times where we um, don't meet eye to eye. Uh, there's a few. Um, there's been a few times where we haven't quite. Um, Which I think is very, very normal in partnerships. It is very normal and it is a good thing to have, right? And um, But we always come around to probably the best resolve at the end of that. And most of the time it's it's when I'm extremely busy and I can't explain things properly and I have to try and race him a little bit and get him along a little bit faster. And um, I think he gets a little bit frustrated that I'm trying to speak a bit too quickly I, but that's your that adrenaline kicking in again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, I've got to, I've really got to go, man. I've got to go. But, um, but I think recently we've also worked out the best times that we can call each other. So he'll always message me to say, Hey, are you busy at the moment? Are you on a show? And if I'm messaging back saying, I've got five minutes, I've got 10 minutes or no, you know, he knows that he just either probably has to figure it out himself or um, give me a little bit of time and then I'll call him back later and we'll have a conversation when it's not quite so so much pressure on it. Um, so it's like any business relationship or personal relationship you have with people. Uh, it does take a little time to, to build on that and develop and figure out how each other work and 
what the strengths are and what the weaknesses are. Thankfully, John knows most of my weaknesses, I think. So he often takes some of that responsibility off me or I'll... It sounds like you have good respect with each other, though, as well, and that's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think if that wasn't there, we we probably would have had to reconsider what we were doing for the for the business. But we do have a, a mutual respect for what both of us do in the business, so uh, it works well. It works well. It's a nice combination. Mm. Hey everyone, I'm excited to jump in here and let you know about my upcoming program for 2022. People say knowledge is power. But that's not entirely true. If you do nothing with that knowledge, it's worthless. If you implement it, you become unstoppable. Creating your own business takes work, commitment, dedication to getting tasks done, working through the frustrations when you realize it's more than you thought and you feel like you're always on the verge of quitting. The easy thing to do is give up, but that just perpetuates a cycle because when there is something you can't stop thinking about, something that you really want to create, you'll never be able to shake it. What we're not taught in school is how our brain actually works. It is so hardwired with our individual beliefs based on our own life experiences that it takes the utmost awareness to know what you need to do differently to achieve your goals. This is the single biggest thing that can be the deciding factor on how well you live your life. When you're starting a new business, there are stages you need to go through. Analysis, planning, testing, strategizing, taking action, in tandem with accountability and support, etc. This is what I help my clients with. In my 10-week program, I'll take you from being stuck and not knowing how to grow to getting clarity and confidence that will get you to the next level. We'll make sure your niche, target market, offer and strategy is solid by implementing systems and a step-by-step action plan to strengthen your foundation that will allow you to grow faster than you could have imagined. You'll gain clarity and confidence with every step, not ever having to return to where you were ever again. I work with a limited number of clients at any time, and to really help you, it needs to be a mutually beneficial fit. This is for someone serious about their growth, for someone who's tired of just getting by to having a healthy business that actually makes money. If this sounds like something you're interested in, send me an email to hello at leonimilano.com. That's L-E-O-N-I-M-I-L-A-N-O.com with the word apply and we can jump on a call to see if this works. If you can tell me one thing that you got out of this episode, I'll add an exclusive bonus. Now let's get back to the episode. And how do you manage your schedule? When you have so much going on all the time, generally, so you have got that going. For anyone who doesn't know, Dubai has the off season, which is the summer months. But then when we go into the rest of the year, it is full steam ahead in this place. There are events everywhere. You must just get exhausted. Yeah, it's it's hard. Um, so managing my um, my time and my my calendar, it's very much uh so i just run a, a normal not outlook but the, the, the apple version of the uh, just a general calendar mm-hmm. uh and i just put anything in there that's a penciled inquiry and then when that confirms i change the color of that so i know that that's a confirmed inquiry i then just have to manage other clients expectations of if i'm available and if i'm half available 
Uh, whether they can work around the other times, so I might talk to the other client and say, look, is it possible for what are, what are the timings of that? So I can I can then try and help a different client out at the same time. And most of them are very good with that, especially during the busy season. They know what it's like. They know that they might have had to half coach me off someone else's event as well. So it goes both ways. Yeah, it, it can get difficult. I mean, I went, so at the end of last year, I went from the middle of September until the end of December with uh, one day off. Well, yeah. Which is which is tricky. Uh, I'm um, very fortunate that I have a, a very understanding um, fiancé who also works very long hours, so we both know that the, the two of us, you know, we can have busy time. And with any personal relationships, you know, friends and that sort of thing, you've just got to make the, the short time that you do have available quite high value. So you're 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 spending good time when you're when you're able to, and then uh, I think most uh, most people are understanding when you when you're too busy and you can't come to their brunch or you can't do their birthday celebrations that you know you're you're busy with work and it, and it's just uh, avoidable. Uh, I think having good understanding people around you helps. That's for sure. But then yeah. there are times where everything just collides at the same time, uh, and mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do about it really, and you either have to manage a client's expectations or work really long hours or um, sometimes there's no way around it. Mm. Or get someone to work with you. Yeah, or get someone to work with you, but it's quite, that can be quite difficult. That can be tricky too though, right? Yeah, you know, especially when someone is trying to book me to come on a job for them because that that's the level of service that they're expecting or the, or the, the level of experience yeah. that they're expecting. I and mean, I'm trying to put someone else on the job. You know, if I manage their expectation with it and say, look, I've got such and such, they're really great, they'll be fine for the position. But if I'm just trying to change me for someone last minute, I don't think people really appreciate that. So mm. um, I try not to do that. I think when they're expecting me to be on site, I need to be on site. If they're mm. if I'm talking to them about somebody else coming on site, then that's a different story. But yeah, it, all about it's a bit of a juggle, it. isn't it? But it just keeps going. It happens somehow. Yeah, but I think so long as you're very clear and transparent with everything and you're not trying to hide things from people, they're understanding mm. of your situation. You know, if I'm saying, oh, look, I've, I've actually got another event on that day, but I could come in from um, 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. and then we'll do the for rehearsal, um, most of them are quite understanding of that. And they'll be like, okay, well, we'll change our um, schedule a little bit to, to help with that. We'll um, we'll schedule our client rehearsal for this time. So then you'll be, you know, so I think most are um, fairly good. So long as it can work, I think most people are fairly willing to try and make it work. So Yeah, and it's just helpful. clear communication is so critical. Yeah, clear communication and, and not, not trying to cover things up, not trying to lie about it, just being very honest about it and then managing that expectation because they've probably been in the same situation themselves with, had to have something and then sometimes it just doesn't work or sometimes it's not fair on either of us for me to take that particular job so uh, unfortunately I can only recommend someone then for that that would also be suitable for the for the job mm. um, I have thought about having a, a small team that you know of people that I can um, put out instead of me but it actually just makes more sense for me to pass it to one of the other freelancers that I know is able to do the job rather than Rather than build yeah. a team of people, you, right? Me, me put ten percent on something, and then them have ten percent less on their wages for you know to make it worthwhile. It, it, for me, it's just better to pass that work straight to the other person, and then hope that they'll pass it back to me at a, at a later stage. So mm. it tends to work out well. 
What is something that has gone wrong? I mean, I think it happens a lot. There's a lot that goes right. There's a lot that goes wrong. But sometimes there's things that happen in events that you just cannot believe. Have you ever heard anything like that happen to you? Um, I mean, for me, it's it's often technical issues, right? I mean, I, I haven't had any of these major, uh, I don't work on a lot of concerts or anything like that, so I don't have any of these majorly weird high-level talent requests or, or weird things that might happen. For me, it's it's often a technical glitch or it's a, someone's running late and they, you know, we have to hold the entire show, but then we have to buffer that with something that we haven't really made up yet, but we've got to try and inform an MC or a host that's on the stage that they have to buffer a bit of time. So things like that can get a bit nervy. I've had uh, media servers crash um, as we're starting the show and Thankfully, we've made a few good decisions half an hour beforehand that have meant that we could limp through and get us to a particular stage. And then um, on that particular occasion, we got to a coffee, got to the coffee break where we didn't really need any videos played. So I started doing some conversions and, and making a different way to play it. And then um, the, the guy on the media server said, yeah, no worries. I've got it back. It won't be a problem. Uh, and then it, it crashed again straight away. So thankfully, we had no way other decisions to, to get a show that would, would work and go together. So yeah, it, it's it's always the technical glitches that get it from my side or there's, there's a number of occasions where we're actually starting the show where the doors are opening, but we're not actually ready to, to start the show. We have, we're working through a problem with a projector. We're working through five minutes, four doors, <laughs> someone's still up in a cherry picker fixing up a problem. It hasn't been a problem for the last 48 hours of rehearsals, but all of, of a sudden not. that's the time it tries to go. So yeah. Most of the time, I think it has always been recovered, but a saying I always like is they'll never know at the box office. So people that are coming in never know what the show is going to be. And, and we always want to do the best mm. possible job we can for a show, but they might not know that one particular element wasn't perfect or one particular element didn't happen because we just had to, had to make a hard decision and get rid of it. So any event can have problems, especially with tech, it fails. Yeah. Of course. How Do you work a lot on last-minute events as opposed to the planned ones where you get the pre-production time? Yeah, like I think that? it seems to me that some years are worse, worse than others. Uh, and I don't know if that's because some years I get booked by certain clients and I know more or less what's happening and then I just have a few last minutes. And then other times I can have just a load of last minutes come through and you haven't had the time to put it, put it together properly. So... Yeah, it, it can it can vary on year to year, but in a bad year, I think 60% could be last minute uh, inquiries that come through and they want a show put together. Uh, and then other years, right, it could be, lot. yeah, it could be, you know, only 30% that's last minute and the rest is all um, had, you know, quite a bit of production time put in it. And it may also depend on the time of year, it tends to be towards coming into Ramadan is often quite a big push to get events done. So often those might not have the pre-production time or it's been really busy the two or three months before. So people are trying to catch up. So often the start of the season, October or uh, Feb, pre-production time, they've had the pre-production time because they've had summer or they've had Christmas period to actually work on it. But then all of a sudden it comes into the later part of the season and people have been so busy before that they haven't actually had time to do the pre-production properly so you might inherit something that isn't really hasn't had the proper time spent on it or and ramadan is quiet pretty much except for the evenings yeah. 
but then that's yeah, not exactly. really shows though is it it's it's mainly if no, and, dinners and yeah exactly and, and there's there are although uh ramadan in this region has become um a lot more relaxed as far as the restrictions go um there are still uh restrictions on live entertainment there are still restrictions on certain things you can do so yeah there's not as many shows there's not as many things happening it's definitely higher than it used to be you know before you might as well book a month off but now there seems to be a bit more happening but it's still a bit limited as what we can do so yeah and when you think about it it keeps moving back every two weeks and it continues to move into the good weather yeah so that's which is going to be quite nice in a, in, a, in a couple of years when we can take a, a month off in march or feb uh, when the weather's perfect out here but the downside of that is it's moving into the really busy season um, yeah so i wonder so how that will if it will change things I think it will, but, you know, it's just going to move some things one way, one side of it and other things the other side of it. So mm. I think um, it was about three years ago, four years ago when it was end of May or beginning of June, which wasn't the greatest time. It was fine when it was in July and August because, well, we summer's quiet anyway. But then mm. when it started moving into the busier months, it kind of made for a really busy lead up to Ramadan, like the end of May was really busy. And then as it sort of started shifting more forward, more forward, people started thinking, oh, well, we'll do it after Ramadan because we've got time between Ramadan finishing and summer. But they never really put the events on. So we had quite a lull in work in sort of late May, June kind of time. But I think now there's enough time in between each one that it'll be busy still after Ramadan before summer. That's the hope anyway. And what's the most incredible event that you have gotten to work on within your entire career? It's a tricky one. Even if it's one of the early musicals. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the fondest musical in my heart is still Jesus Christ Superstar. That was, for me, the the one I had the most fun on. In recent times, uh, I was lucky enough to work on um, a couple of the uh, Expo events, not sort of Expo itself, but the um, orientation uh, experience, which was for the volunteers, which they actually turned into a show rather than a PowerPoint presentation in a room. They mm. actually put on a show for them to, to get a handle on this. And then oh, the, the final sunset party was quite a nice finish off to the whole expo. But I think the ones I like the most, the ones that push the boundary of, of the technology or the content, that there's something, you know, really quite tricky in it, quite difficult, something with some performances. If it's just calling a, as, as much as I love the corporate work, something with a little bit more of a performance element is definitely what I prefer. Did they have Christina Aguilera for the sunset event? They did, yeah. yeah. Right, because I saw her the night before. Yeah, so she played the expo closing and then, yeah, the following night for the final sunset party, uh, they also had Christina Aguilera, which was good. Uh, and I, I thought she was... She yeah, she's got great energy. When you were talking about Jesus Christ Superstar, was that with Kate Sobrano? The one I did was uh, at high school. It was uh, all high school. Oh, um, high school, right. Okay, uh, that was high school. Yeah. <laughs> that, that wouldn't have been that. But it's amazing how these musicals are just timeless. Yeah, yeah. And I still love going to the theatre and watching a, a musical. It's, um, uh, I, wish they had, I wish there was more that happened. It's just not there. a lot here. No, there's certain that, certain ones that come through every now and again, and and I think now with Dubai Opera, there'll be there'll be more happening in this region. Um, yeah, hopefully there'll but, be more. Uh, yeah, I think there isn't. There hadn't really been a a, a permanent um, 
space for them. So you'd always have to set mm. up trade centers for Cirque du Soleil or, you know, you'd have to do it in a small theater in the Madnat or something like that. But I think now with Dubai Opera, I'm hoping that there'll be more um, mm. more come through. I think COVID's probably put the brakes on a, on a number of them. But the uh, La Pearl, amazing. And if anyone hasn't gone to that yet, I it, you need to go to that as well. But the, what they do with the content as well as the, the show is, is amazing. I haven't been to that. I was meant to go... Actually, when it was first opening, we were going to go and it. We got cancelled at the last minute. Yeah. Um, but put it, yeah, put it on, put it on your I'll list. put it on Definitely the list. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any changes that you would make to the events industry if you could? If I had a magic wand that I could wave yes. over it, better working hours. We can work some pretty crazy long hours, especially when we've had various issues on site you know we might not have been able to get into the venue as early as we wanted we might have had problems with a projector we might have had problems with lighting you know there there could have been anything that that has delayed us but often we're having to do 13 14 15 hour days Uh, and then we have to be back on site you know only after a few hours sleep for the next part uh, you know for the actual show which is fine if we only had one show um, that we were dealing with at the time. And this is often my argument where uh, a client might say, oh, you know, it's just going to be a few late nights. Well, it is for them because they're only dealing with this one show. But for mm. us that are working on multiple shows in a week or in a month, we go on to another show straight away after and another one straight away, that, uh, another one straight away after that. So if we're getting to each one of those already burnt out, already having not slept, we only have so far we can go and sick days we can't really take it. I mean, we just hope that we don't get sick. And if we do, uh, we hope it's not so bad that we can't turn up to a day's work, but it's very difficult for us. So if I could improve one thing, it would be the, it would be the working hours and to make sure that we're not doing anything crazy or unsafe, uh, that we're not driving at, uh, you know, when we, when we shouldn't have been because we've been working, you know, too many hours, you know, and I'm sure there are other people out there that, that do a lot longer than that, you know, People have mm. probably done 30, 40 hours shifts, which is, it gets to That's a point crazy. where it's not safe. But unfortunately, there are times where you have to do these things. So I would I would definitely improve working hours across the industry. Because compounded, if you're doing that over a long period of time, it can just get too much. Because your body just can't. And, you know, if you're turning up to an event and you're, you need to be really sharp, especially what you're doing, show calling, you can't be off with the fairies with that at all no being being distracted or tired is, is is not something you really want to do and it's you know to have it once in a while it's not it's manageable but when it's nearly every show it gets quite difficult and a lot of the time it, it's just come down to uh the schedule hasn't hasn't been put together right you know they've, they've probably called me in three or four hours earlier than i needed to or they've just put me in for one day where they should have actually brought me in a day earlier to write the cue sheet and to get everything in order before I actually get to site. Um, mm. So I think most are, are, are quite good with that. And I think it's, it's also about communication from my side is asking them, okay, well, what does the show entail? When are we, when do we go on site? When do we, you know, when will I have the technical team? When will I be able to run rehearsals? Getting um, the right info. And these are things that, exactly. And these are things that I've probably learned over the years that, um, that have been needed that, um, uh, that, you know, certain questions that I need to ask, uh, how much time do I have? How much, how, how am I inheriting the show? Is there a technical director working above? Is there a producer? You know, who, who do I have there as support? 
are things going to be programmed when I get there? Or am I going to have to sit with a technical team and me start programming it with them? Because although it's probably not in a show caller's actual job description, it often falls to them because they are probably the better person. And it's me that's having to cue it in. So I want to program exactly. in a certain way that's better for me as well. So uh, it usually does make sense for, for me to do it. But if I'm not able to turn up on site and it's already programmed, I can run rehearsal relatively straight away. Okay, well then do I need to be there the day before? Do I need to be there half a day before? What is the actual timing of how long I need to be there? So I think that's quite an important side of it too. And you're leading the technical team. What's your philosophy on management? I think the, the, the technical team typically know a lot more than I do. I know individual parts, but they're the guys that are actually pushing the buttons. They're the ones that are guessing the program to do what it, want, what it needed to be done. They're the ones lining up the projectors. They've probably had longer hours on site than I have. I try and be as fair and kind to those guys as I possibly can, regardless of their own experience regardless of how long they might have been in the industry or regardless of their background. Uh, I think it's important to treat all of them with, with as much respect as you can. Hey, sometimes you get people that, um, that you, you have a conflict of uh, personality, but uh, I think trying to be fair with those guys because they're the ones that are actually, they've done typically longer hours than you have. They've been there longer. They've had frustrations. They've had you know, difficulties with their getting in or, you know, long hours or whatever it might be. So um, I think just being nice and fair and kind to those guys is always a, an important part. And they're, they're the guys that are helping you out on, on the day. So if you're a bit nasty to them or you're, you're not treating them in a kind way, maybe they won't. <laughs> they got it up a hand in a way. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they won't stick around to help you with that last rehearsal. Maybe they'll, they, they might not be as sharp the next day because they're like, oh, they didn't treat me very well. I'm, I don't want to be uh, helping them out. So it has a massive yeah, impact, think, doesn't it? Relationships. Yeah. And I see the way that some people speak to, to the crew and I don't think it's acceptable the, the way that some people have, have spoken to. We, we're all dealing with a lot of stress on site. We're all dealing with problems, but to push that onto someone else isn't very fair. It's nice when people come up afterwards and apologize and say, oh, look, I'm sorry about that. I was super stressed and I was having another problem and I was trying to deal with that. And, you know, I'm sorry if I reacted in a way. And, and that's always a, a nice thing to see from someone. Um, but often you don't even get that when someone has, has not spoken to you very nicely. Yeah, that's um, a shame, isn't it? Yeah, especially when they're not, it, it doesn't cost anything to be nice to people. So. Mm. And, and it actually goes a long way, apologising afterwards, at least. I think that can really go a long way in yeah. your relationships. Do you have any bucket list events that you haven't yet worked on? And I, I know events change from year to year. So I don't know, maybe a recurring large scale event that happens around the world. I would love to be involved in a large uh, opening ceremony or closing ceremony of a um, sporting event or um, that sort of scale. One of the one of the big ones. That, a year long, a, a year long production. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. or a, um, you know, an opening for a opening or closing for a for a you know, it would have been great to do uh, opening or closing for Expo or um, or any Expo or a or a Commonwealth Games or a Olympics or a, it's plenty uh, a coming up. Stadium <laughs> opening. Um, I actually had an opportunity, which I'm gutted I wasn't able to do, which was a, a, a sports, uh, either sports competition or sports stadium in Indonesia. Unfortunately, I was, it was just a bit too tight to another couple of bookings that I had. 
which right. meant that I had to I had to turn that down. But um, I would love to be involved in a in a really large scale event like that. It would be probably the bucket list, and I'm hopeful that something like that will, will will come along one day. But if not, so long as I can keep going with with the sort of work I'm doing, I'll, mm. I'll be very pleased. Do you think you'll stay in Dubai for the foreseeable future? Yes, I think New Zealand as a as an end game or a midterm, but for the next, I can't really put a number on this, but I have no visions of leaving anytime soon, especially with the way that the work is going here, the way uh, business is here. Yeah, we have a few months that it's really hot and, and not the nicest place to be outside, but then there are things to do inside, so it's it's manageable. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't have any um, any. There's a lot going about, on, um, isn't there, here? Yeah. And, you know, the, of some of the opportunities that I might get working in New Zealand, I don't think would be of the same scale or not as frequently anyway. So mm, I might be able right. to get on some of the bigger events that come through. But here on a consistent basis, we have events put on that have typically have a, a decent budget behind them, a bit more thought to them, a bit more, you know, ability to be creative and do things on a larger scale than I, I would get to deal with in, in New Zealand, I think, for the time being. And, and not to say that New Zealand would, would be the only place I might end up, but I think for now, unless something, a much better opportunity were to come along. But you never know where life takes you. And if if I was to have to have to move, I, I would welcome it. it. It wouldn't be a problem. But if I can plan it out right now, I think probably for at least the next five years, we'd, we'd still be positioned in Dubai. Nice. That is awesome. Yeah. It's a very easy place to live, very safe. It's very easy. They have a lot of international acts come here and there's a ton of creativity. And quite often people will come here, then they'll go home and then they're bored. They will want to come back because there is a lot going on, especially in the events industry, being a, a massive global tourism hub as well. Hayden, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so great to chat with you get a bit of background. It's very interesting that you had all that theatre background and you definitely have a love for what you do. You, it's very obvious. How can people get in touch with you if somebody happens to be listening to this to work on an event or hire from your company? The best place for contacting me without giving away like all of my social tags and all this sort yeah. of thing. LinkedIn is a pretty easy place to get a hold of me if you're uh, looking for me on a Basis. professional level. If you're wanting to rent from iHire, uh, Hayden at iHire.ae or go to the website iHire.ae. Um, so that's probably the best place to start. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much and take care and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks. See you. You've just finished listening to an episode of Rare Conversations. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love for you to leave a review and share it with a friend who you think would be interested in this topic. And if you have a business question, please send it in to us. We may very well answer it in our next episode. So be sure to tag me on social media at Leone Milano. The show notes and other information can be found on our website at www.leonimilano.com. Thank you again for listening and we look forward to having you back with us again soon.